Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Now, for those of you who haven't been here, let me just give you a quick context. We're preaching through the book of Luke. And uh, we're going to preach through the book of Luke till the end of the year. And we're not going to go literally... Um, step by step or word for verse by verse or chapter by chapter we're going to jump around and we're going to speak about stories and parables of Jesus and and if you compare the old and the old testament and the old covenant to the new covenant and the gospel you actually see that Jesus came and he turned everything upside down he did he turned everything upside down for hundreds of years there was prophecies that were said that the Messiah would come and he would sit on David's throne, that's what the scripture said, and he would set God's people free from oppression. That's what the scripture, and that's what the people believed. But then Jesus came as a servant. He came as a servant to the poor and the broken. He came as a servant to the sinners and the lost. And, and then what did, what did he do? He gave his life, literally. No, no, Jesus, but you were supposed to be king. And he said, no, no, I want to give my life. You see, the absolute opposite, what people were waiting for, happened. And, and I think they, they probably would say, but this, this could not be, this, this surely cannot be the Messiah. Look, he died. But it was just the beginning. See, if you read the commentaries for all the Gospels, you actually see that people say that they call this the upside-down Gospel. That people were looking for this, but this happened. What now? For instance, look at what Jesus said. But there's a scripture in Mark 8, verse 35 that says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Just looking at that scripture, oh, I mean, that, that's quite upside down. If I want to win my whole life, I need to lose it. But if I lose my life, I mean, it's just, and that's how Jesus came. You see, Jesus came to establish and birth a gospel that was literally turned upside down. And that's what we're looking at in the next couple of weeks. My topic of my sermon today is delayed. Delayed. How many of you have been delayed in life? Come on, you just had to take an international flight somewhere, and there were some delays. I mean, I remember, I, I had 18-hour delays in New York once, and I had to sit through the night not knowing where to go. I had a 16-hour um, delay in Dubai. I mean, I can tell you a lot about delays. Um, I, I remember I had an overnight delay in Helsinki with four of my athletes' friends when I was still running professionally, and we weren't, on, we weren't tired, so we, we, there was no way to sleep, there was no benches or anything on the airport. It was two o'clock in the morning, and so we raced each other on the, on, the, on the baggage carts, like one sitting on top and then the other one running, and like four athletes running around the airport. And you do weird things when things are delayed in your life. Delays are annoying, I don't know about you. I don't enjoy being delayed when I want to do it right now. Now, what happens when a delay happens when you can't afford it? When you really can't afford it, when the need is so intense in your life, an ultimate delay at this moment are destroying your opportunity for breakthrough, are destroying the thing that you really need right now. Have you ever been there? When you trust God for breakthrough, Father, this needs to happen in my life now. And there is just delay upon delay upon delay. Now I want to look at a well-known story in Luke 8 about a father who faced a moment of life and death. A moment of life and death. Let's read it together. 
And it's in Mark 8, verse 35. It says the following. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. All expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who has been subjected to the bleeding of, of, for 12 years long. So we know the story from there. Now let's quickly look at the scenario. I want to speak about, and this is the only scripture I'm going to use this uh, today, and I'm going to fill it in, because I want to leave you with something today that I hope that God will drop in your heart. Now, Luke 8 is not a boring chapter. It is a chapter that things are happening. I mean, this is amazing. Before Jesus came to this point, back to Galilee, two incredible miracles already happened. He quieted the storm, and he, there was a demonized man he set free with 7,000 demons. And the story about the demonized man ran so quickly, it was in Galilee, in the town of Galilee, before he even got there. And that's why the crowds were so, I mean, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. So Jesus get back to Galilee, and the news were out. And people were in line, they were waiting, Jesus is coming. Did you hear? Jesus is coming. And everybody was waiting for him to come. The, the, the news were spread in town, and the crowds were waiting. Now, how many, we, oh, sorry, here we see a man called Jairus. And we read about a man called Jairus, and he was a leader in a synagogue. And if you're a leader in a synagogue, you're a well-known man. It, the, the scripture actually doesn't say that he was a Pharisee or not, but he was a leader in the synagogue. Probably that he was one of the, the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees, but, but he was high up one of the leaders. And that means that he was well known all around the town. Now, Jairus was not just a man in need of a miracle. He was not. Not just a man of need of a miracle. He was a father in distress because of his child. Now, quickly... Put yourself in that perspective. If you're not a father, or maybe you know children, or you're involved in a, in a family where there's children involved, and the child is dying, what does a father or mother's heart go through in that moment? This was not just a need for a normal miracle. This was someone in distress of saying, my child is busy, I'm looking at my child busy dying. I need to do something. So Darius, in the most sensitive time, in the most sensitive time, he's busy, his daughter is busy dying. Where is daddy needed? Right there on the side. That's where he's needed. I don't know about you, but that's where I will be. If my daughter is, is, is seriously, I'm right at the, at the bedside. So where's Jairus? Where does he find himself? He leaves the house to go find Jesus. He leaves. Now for me, this is such a beautiful picture for all of us. It's a beautiful picture. You see, sometimes in the midst of turmoil and distress in our lives, and don't tell me we don't have them. We do. The degrees of turmoil in our lives differ, I know. But we go through degrees of turmoil in our lives. And in the midst of turmoil and distress in our lives, we need to go and find Jesus. You need to. You see, Jairus knew... So, you need to go to your prayer closet. You need to go and find your, in your quiet time and go on your knees, on your face, or wherever you need to be, but you need to go and find Jesus. Encounter him. Invite him into that situation, and that's where Jairus was. You see, Jairus knew that no matter how hectic the situation was, 
at that moment, he needed a miracle more than anything else. And you know what? He would do anything. I think a father would do anything. I don't know about you. Me as a father, I would do anything. Anything for my child. And that's where Jairus was. He would do anything at that moment. Now, we j- just remember, see, he was a leader in a synagogue. And because he was a leader, those guys didn't like Jesus too much at that stage. Remember? He wasn't a fan of the Pharisee or the Sanhedrin or the synagogues. Because he came in and he flipped things upside down. He preached, he healed on a Sabbath, he did this on a Sabbath. I mean, there was people after his blood, and, and, and Jerius probably knew that. And because he was a leader in the synagogue, he wasn't a fan of Jesus, but he heard stories. Man, a demon-possessed man got free. We all know about that man. He was so scary. In one moment, he's free. And Jerius knew how much. See, how much, how much did it really take Jerius? to walk up to Jesus in the crowds. Everybody knew him. And he walked up and said, Jesus, I need your help. It took everything from him. You see, the incredible thing about this is that Jesus could have healed his daughter with one word. Remember the centurion's daughter? He said, just speak the word. My daughter will be healed. But he didn't. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? On Jairus' word, he did what he asked. Jesus just did what Jairus asked. See, <laughs> that's where Jairus' faith was. His faith was, man, I don't know about this Jesus guy, but he's doing miracles. My daughter is sick, so I'm going to at least just do anything I can. So the faith wasn't there. His faith was there, but it wasn't like the Roman centurion's faith. You see, this just illustrates for me, when I read this, it just illustrates that according Jesus or God will minister to us according to our faith. Where is your faith at? According to your faith, God's hand will move. It doesn't change his heart towards us, but our faith moves his hand. You can have the greatest need in life, and you can cry out about your need, but God's hand only moves according to your faith. Where is your faith? And Jesus ministered to Jairus at the level where his faith was, but he didn't rebuke his small faith or his little faith. He went along. It's incredible. Jesus didn't say, well, you are mm, synagogue. You guys don't like me, don't you? Well, now we'll see how your daughter gets healed. No, no, he just said, let's go. Let's go. It's incredible how Jesus' heart was. You see, Jairus was probably caught up in this Pharisee religion and a lack of faith in Jesus, but in this moment of distress, in that moment of distress, it drew him to Jesus. Have you, have you ever, ever wondered that when you are in a moment of distress, it draws people to God? It really does. The scripture actually says that God is closer, the Psalms, David wrote, that God is closer to the brokenhearted than anyone else. He truly is. And Jairus was so in distress, it drew him to Jesus. If there was just a, a hint of a possibility of a miracle, I need to go and lay all my pride down and ask this man, can you come and heal my daughter? You see, each one of us can place ourselves right in the middle of the story. We can. In our most distressing need, we see God on our face. Have you ever been there? 
you're in this distressing need, you see God in your face, then you get a word. Yay. God comes, maybe a prophetic word or a word in Scripture, or God speaks to you, and God says, yes, I will come. I will come. Have you ever been there? Hopefully you have been. And then, man, Jesus is on this journey. He's on his way to your house. He's responding to your need, and where he steps into that room where your need is, then what happens? A delay. But God, I just sought you on my face. You spoke to me. You said, yes, we'll go. Now we're on our way and on our way to my room where the miracle needs to happen. Suddenly there's a delay. You see, a woman comes and slows things down. Or let me rather say, Jesus gets distracted. (laughs) He gets distracted. Come on. Don't you know about... When, when, I mean, don't you know about you, but so many times in our life, I thought, man, Lord, did God get distracted while tending to my distressing need? Have you ever had a need and said, Lord, man, just, can you just remember me, please? Did you get distracted? Jesus, hello, I've been praying for two weeks. You've, you've answered me two weeks ago already. I got prophetic word, everything. Now, you're on your way to my house. Wait, what happened? Uber driver, yes. Now just think about what Jairus went through emotionally in this moment. I'm not taking away of the woman with the issue of blood. Incredible miracle. And in the significance of it, the woman was, how, how long was she sick? 12 years? How old was Jairus' daughter? 12. There was a significant moment on this. I'm not going to go to the woman of the issue of blood, but 12 means an appointment. If we're going to look at the biblical numeric of appointment. Now just think what a father went through emotionally while looking at this episode happening in front of him, knowing that his daughter is literally busy dying. And the crowds are here, and Jesus, just come, Jesus, just, and now suddenly d- delay. There is a delay. But Lord, I needed this yesterday. I can't afford this delay now. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, come on. That emotional moment of a father knowing we cannot afford this in this moment. Now, just like when we get, get to church or a conference. You get to church in a conference and there's a prophet. Yay. There's a prophet there, and you see how people get healed, saved, delivered. It's amazing. And then Lord's like, Lord, but Bob, what about my need? Have you forgot about me, Lord? Lord, why did you get distracted? Suddenly you feel forgotten by Jesus. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I sit in those amazing conferences. The power of God is falling. Everybody's on their faces. This guy get a prophecy. That guy get healed. This guy, now I'm sitting there and said, Lord, but I've been praying for two months. Lord, I'm here with an expectation. Nobody here has got a bigger expectation than me. And nothing. Nothing. And Jerry's just standing there with an emotional thing in his heart as a daddy with his gold eye. And Jesus is delaying things. Or the woman is delaying things. This moment is not what he what we planned for. And he says, Jesus, how can their need be as big as mine at this moment? 
Jesus, how can you get distracted while you're on your way to my miracle? Jesus. And how did Jairus respond? Did you realize? How did he respond? He didn't say a word. He didn't interrupt Jesus. He probably knew this woman. He was a leader of the synagogue. He probably knew this woman because she was not allowed in public because she had an issue with blood. When you have an issue with blood, you are unclean. That means you're not allowed in the open between crowds. And he was like, what? This woman, now you come. You're not allowed here. My, woman, my daughter's dying. Now you come and delay this thing. You're catching what emotions this man went through at this moment. But while he was patiently waiting, Jairus, he was waiting, patiently, like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to wait. He's going through this emotional struggle, and a messenger comes. And the messenger says the following. While Jesus was still speaking, someone come, came from the, from, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And then hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Now see, in a worldly mindset, where we are in, come on, they say, well, it's over, it's done. Thank you, don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't, don't worry. It's done, it's over, we can't do anything again. That's a worldly mindset. But Jesus didn't come for a worldly mindset, he didn't come for an old covenant, he didn't come for the law or anything. He came for a new gospel of grace. He knew there was something different. Now just in Place yourself in this situation quickly. What happens in our hearts? You feel, I mean, you, 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 you pray, God, please come through. I'm in a moment of distress. We feel we had a word from God. We believe God said he's coming to my house. But before he could get there, my need is dead. Now you're in a predicament. My need is dead. Ever felt that way? I've been there. I said, Lord, I am so down in the dumps. I'm so down, big down in this hole that it feels that every need that I had is dead already. I just feel dead. So how did Jesus respond when he heard this report? I love this. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, this, If you go to the Passion Translation, he says, don't yield to your fear. Other relations, he says, he says, only believe. Just keep on believing. Amplified says, just keep on believing. You see, faith and fear is actually opposite forces. We all know that. You can't have faith and fear in the same thing. It's like water and oil. You try to mix it, it doesn't mix because it's two different forces, two different things. You see, fear is actually faith in reverse. It's like when you go down a hill, and you go down the hill and you try to put your car in reverse. I mean, it's, it's you destroying that whole system. And that's exactly what happens when you're in a moment of fear, in a moment where you need faith and fear comes in, you can wreck the whole miracle in that moment. And Jesus knew it. And that's why Jesus immediately said to him, don't, believe, don't fear, believe. Don't fear, believe. You see, Jesus knew that Jairus had a part to play in this miracle. 
And sometimes we get to a place where it's like, Lord, I'm waiting for this miracle. Where are you? And Jesus said, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. You've got a part to play in this thing. Just stick with me. Just stand here. And so many times we want to sit in the pavilion, eat our, drink our Coke, and it's like, yeah, Jesus on the field. When are you winning, Jesus? When? Jesus said, no, no, you need to come here with me and play this game. You need to walk this thing out. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. God is able. He is able to do anything of your need, anything you desire, because he can do it exceedingly, he can do it abundantly above all we ask or think. Why? And then he says, according to what? The power that works within you. He said, Jarius, I can do anything, but I need the power that is in you. That power is related. I need the faith that you have. I need your faith. That's what he said. I need your faith at this moment. So don't stop believing. See, Jesus needed the positive power of faith working in Jairus and not the negative force of fear. Because he knew that when Jairus are fearing, he's going to derail this miracle. Now that you know it's possible to have both faith and fear working in our hearts at the same time? We can. There's a constant fight. Like, do I need to fear? No, no, I'm, I'm in faith. Um, fear comes? No, no. And that's why Jesus said to him, believe only. Believe only. Oh, so it's, it's in different translation. He says, believe, just believe. Don't fear and have faith. Just believe. Just have faith. You see, sometimes the best thing we can do when we feel that our when we feel that that our promise that what we trusted God for has died then it is important to keep on believing it's important when you feel that you have lost that need lord there is no way in in this earthly perspective and jesus said don't worry i'm not from an earthly perspective i'm looking at a heavenly perspective it is still possible just believe just keep on believing don't look at the circumstances Look at it, hold on to that promise, because just stick here with me, just believe. You see, sometimes the best thing we can do is to keep on believing. Keep on believing. Sometimes we need to fight to keep on believing. Have you ever been in that fight? Have you ever been there? You see, sometimes you need to fight, because some morning you will wake up and you don't feel like as faith-filled as normal. Come on. I don't feel it's like, Lord, I don't feel it this morning. Then God says, it's not a feeling, it's just faith. It's just faith you need to have. I asked, I asked uh, Stephen to come and share a testimony quickly this morning. And it's such a testimony that fits into the story. And um, so, yeah, without any ado, come and share with us, friend. Yeah, thanks, Henny. Um, just when we spoke, it, it was actually last week that I just felt in my heart that that my testimony, which has not ever really been shared to this extent, this is my Jarius moment that I went through. Um, so yeah, um, I really believe that something's gonna drop. I just pray also that your hearts are opened this morning and that you are blessed by this testimony in the light of what Henny's been sharing. So those of you who know me, I spent significant time in corporate, about 13 years in total of my actual corporate career. 
And I had a sort of a self-proclaimed label of my life that I was a corporate jock. I would live and die in corporate, right? But in fact, it was so much so that I, I believed it so much that in order for God to fulfill the calling in my life, he had to take me out of that. Um, and through a series of events, I mean, I often say I could not have messed up my retrenchment if I tried because I knew God's hand was in it, but how did I know? And this is important. Um, Clarice and I got radically, radically saved in July 2009. And in the local church context, in that radical salvation, we pursued God. We committed. We submitted. Man, we signed up for every course we could. We served our hearts out during that time. An incredible thing that when you pursue God, I mean, I was one of those guys that, you know, the, the, the guys in church said, you're a real Christian only if you get up at half past four in the morning, spend two hours with God before you start your day. That was me. I was told that, well, I'll flip, that's what i got to do. And I was sitting there, you're like half dead in the morning. I'm not a morning person. But the incredible thing is that when you do that and you submit into the local covering context of the local church, God starts to speak to you. And your prof prophetic words over your life underpin and, uh, three key areas of your life. Without this, I don't know how you fulfill your calling. So the three underpinning areas, number one, God tells you who you are. Very important. If you don't know who you are, man, you, <laughs> yeah, you need to know who you are. God's need to tell you who you are. And the number two is that he imparts destiny to you. Okay? And the third thing is, is he tells you what he's going to do before he does it. Very important. You've got to know these things. So, so this is how I knew that my season in corporate was a corporate, that God, that God was going to take me out of that. And there were two underpinning uh, pivotal words in my life that have, have upheld me, literally the rock of Christ in those words, those Rima words, has, has, has literally propped me up. Without those words in my life, I don't know how I would have made it, to be honest. I, I just knew that I knew that I knew that God had spoken. Those words were for me. Um, and I remember during that time, we, Clarice and I were on holiday. We were at Avalon Springs. Those of you who know where Avalon Springs is, we used to go there quite a lot. And by divine appointment, there was a man who'd been burdened with a word for us, but specifically for me, but for us. He'd been burdened for a week. He didn't ask from a bar of soap. And so much so that, that he couldn't sleep. He literally couldn't sleep. And strategically, that Sunday afternoon, we were the only ones there, Clarissa and I, with him and his family. There was no one else there. Now, I don't know whether you know Avalon Springs, but that, that just doesn't happen. And he, we went to, I don't know, we started talking, and then we just received this download. And I remember the specific word of this down was that, download was that God could see that he could trust me. And I thought... Yes, God can trust me. The second part of that word, I think by his grace, I forgot. Because he said, within seven years, you are going to go through the hardest trial of your life. Clarice reminded me of that quite recently. I forgot that part, right? And it's interestingly that we got saved in July 2009. And in July 2016, seven years later, I was retrenched. Seven years. But I knew that I was called to be a financial eunuch for the Lord. How did I know this? Somehow the Holy Spirit put in me that 
I needed to pray this prayer, Lord, make me a financial eunuch. Lord, I want to be a financial eunuch for the kingdom. Lord, this is what my calling is. I prayed that prayer mechanically for three years every single day of my life. <laughs> but it wasn't in my heart. I just wanted to be rich, man. Right? Financial eunuch, riches, come on. Yeah, man, that's what was really going on. Because we grew up without. We're a family that grew up in lack. I mean, uh, those of you who come from a, a background like it will know what I'm talking about, you know, to, to uh, yeah, it's not, uh, it's, it's not of God. I think that uh, for every believer that is not your default. Um, so when I got retrenched, now this is it, boy, I'm going into big business. I'm going to start big business, right? I was on fire. I was arrogant. I had the word in me. I don't need to read my Bible. Man, I've read the Bible. Nobody knows more about the Bible than me, right? And I started this business. I, I, it doesn't matter what I did, what I tried, no, no door would open. That was the one thing. The second thing is, and guys, I can't prove this, but if you look at the story of Job, do not think that the Satan does not go up to heaven to come to accuse you. He does. And it's almost like this. I feel that. Lord was saying, consider my faithful servant Steve. I can trust him. And here's Satan saying, yeah, but he declares that he's your provider, that you're his provider with his mouth, but Lord, you know it's not in his heart. And strategically, somehow, the enemy came in to kill, steal, and destroy us in the area of our finances. Clarice knows, there is no way, I did not know that men could be so evil so deceptive. I mean, I forget how much we lost, but it was well over a bar. Lost my pension. Lost my bucky. Yeah? Not easy, right? I mean, we even tried to, I even tried to open a, a business in Namibia. I forget how many, well over 100k we plowed in, of money that we didn't have. Me trying to open doors in Namibia. No door would open. It was a word that God said that he would bring uh, men and women around me, and he brought men and women around me. I thought, yeah, this is it. These people are going to, you know, they were promising finances for my projects. They were promising the world. Man, it wasn't forthcoming. And I would phone, and I would phone, and I would phone, and I would phone, and eventually my wife in her wisdom said to me, Steve, why don't you stop phoning these sucks and see if they phone you back? Gone. Stop phoning them. And my wife said to me, Steve, you know, you need to go and get a job. Right? And the realization in that moment hit me. Where are you, Lord? <laughs> Where are you? Uh, I mean, yeah. one of the words, the second part of the word that I received was, the Lord says, Steve, it's almost like you've got a label over your life. God says, that's not the label of your life. Says who? Says the Lord. I'm going to change the label of your life, and I'm going to redeem you in ways you never thought possible. I'm like, yay. I didn't realize that the label of my life, the changing of that, was killing me, was going to kill me. And so I remember driving down the road. We were busy building a house in faith against much opposition from the paparazzi. You know who those are. Those are well-meaning Christians who don't have faith. And um, I say that with the greatest of respect. Please hear what I'm not saying. Um, 
But I remember driving down the road with our 10-year-old Polo, and I was just saying, Lord, I was starting to use oil. Lord, what is going on? You promised me. Those are your words. I know you've spoken. Those are the words of my life. I'm meant to be a financial eunuch. Where are you? I remember Lord just said this one phrase to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Steve, do you trust men or do you trust me? Whoa, man, I broke it. I was a broken man. I'll never forget. I must have wept for about three weeks. God stripped me of this world. It's the hardest thing I've ever, ever gone through in my life. But let me tell you something. If you ever want to be used for God, you've got to go there. That area of your life that God wants to promote you in and use you in, he's going to strip you of it. He's going to strip you of the world in that area. There's no other way you can learn that lesson. It's a physical process. My wife went through a fiery physical trial, a fiery physical health trial. Not one month, not two months, not two years, five years. And I was helpless, couldn't help her, couldn't help her. I remember we were on holiday in Durban, and Clarice was going through it towards the end of her trial. I just, I just said, Lord, I worship you. I, I just, something rose up inside of me. He said, Lord, I don't, I've got nowhere else to go. What do we do? I said, Lord, I worship you. The Holy Spirit visited me that light, that night, and I believe gave me the deposit that I needed to go through my five years. And the other thing I found out when I started looking for a job, guys that were COOs with MBAs were earning 40% less than what I earned when I left corporate at Exco level. I was just completely out of my depth. But I also knew, before I get to that, KLC put on Worship Week that first time, that first year, and I knew I had to go there. And I went to Worship Week, I think it was the fourth night, I forget what it was, God pushed me to the ground. Couldn't move. I couldn't move a muscle in my body. I'm telling you right now, the Lord emptied me there and then. He emptied me. I finally, for the first time in my life, understood when the Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I understand that scripture now. I didn't then, didn't before that. It was a hard place to be. And all I had in my hands was this opportunity in IT, of all things. All right? It was transport management systems for truckers. Now, I don't know whether you know truck owners. A lot of them are Afrikaans. Ek was Engelsman. And how do you sell something to an Afrikaans trucker that he doesn't want and doesn't know that he needs? That's hard. But it was all I had. But, and, and God started, to, I just picked up this opportunity. I remember my, I started earning three and a half thousand rand a month. That's what's my pay. Just to cover my petrol. We took our broken polo, got on the phone, and I phoned, and I phoned, and I phoned, and I phoned, and I just, I wouldn't take no for an answer. Every phone call, I was terrified. I was praying, Lord, let them receive my message well. Give me appointments, Lord. I don't know many, how many hundreds of thousands of rands God has blessed me with through that business, consulting, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, in April this year, the seeds that I sowed in Namibia, I remember, who's done network marketing? Everyone fall into that trap? Yeah? 
You have to have a vision board. Do you use a vision board? Yeah. So I had this vision board on the left-hand corner. Let's forget it. There's this, this pathways of, of, of cargo that we're going to move in and through Wallfish Bay and through Namibia and into the... I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, into Africa. And in April this year, those Namibia steeds started to grow. And we are now... I'm now poised. The greatest blessing God has ever poured out on my wife and I is coming through my businesses. I just can't compute the noughts. It's so big. But the point is this, is that you have to die. You have to die. Can you die? Can you be like Darius, that when there's no hope around you, nothing, can you be like Darius and say, Lord, I trust you. No one can tell me God is not my provider. I know he's my provider. But it was here, it wasn't in my heart. It's got to be in your heart. And there's nothing you can do. If God wants to bring that fruit out in you, you can stand on your head until you, that message drops from here to here. God won't move. Now, how you submit to that process of the Lord determines the outcome. You can come out from underneath it. God will still bless you. But will he ever use you? So I'm so grateful to God, and I'm also grateful to my wife, who just God supernaturally provided for us both through her business. You must understand, I was in corporate, exco level, level five management. I earned a ton of money. All gone. 13 years of income, gone. <laughs> Interesting thing. <laughs> so I waited five years. So this July 2016, I got retrenched. Got saved in July 2009, seven years to July 2016. And it's five years now since July 2016, 12 years. I have an appointment with the Lord. Can you wait? Can you wait and submit to the process of God? So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. That's why the word says we will overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And it's so precious. So, so let's end this. Let's land a plane. Jarius are with Jesus. His daughter just died, and they're on their way home. So let's read further. Verse 51. Uh, there we go. When he arrived at the house of Jarius... He did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, and that's what happens. Somebody just died. They've been caring. They've been seeing this thing happen. People are sad. It's a normal thing. Look what Jesus did. He kicks them out. He kicks all of them out. <laughs> Think about it. Have you ever been at a funeral and everybody's crying and it's hectic and it's sad? And Jesus comes and says, get out. So he says, then Jesus said, stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. And then they laughed at him. They laughed. Not knowing that she was dead because they were looking at the natural. Jesus was looking at the supernatural. There was something else. He says, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. 
Now, when they get to Jerry's house, the people were crying and mourning, and Jesus said, listen, I, I don't have time for this. Get out. Get out. And Jesus walked by faith, not by sight, because he couldn't afford any form of unbelief at that moment. He needed the unbelief out. He needed to fear out. And I know it's a normal, natural thing. People mourn at a, at a funeral. But Jesus knew that the story was not done. He knew. You see, many miracles have been lost, not because of any unwillingness on God's part, but rather because the person who believed for the miracle failed to realize the hindrances that other people's unbelief can be. Do you know that unbelief around you can be a hindrance to the miracle in your life? You know that sometimes fear around you can hinder the miracle of God in your life. Step into a room with, with, with fearful, negative people, I'll give you 10 minutes, and you'll be as negative and fearful as they are. Because it rubs off on you. See, we can't afford to surround our faith with fear when we are trusting God for miracles. We can't afford that. And the question for us all this morning is, who do you surround yourself with? See, it's a very important, it doesn't mean that I now need to pick out, only you guys can be my friend, otherwise I'm not, I don't have time for you. It doesn't say that. It just says, in that moment of distress, in the moment of need, in the moment where I need that miracle, who do I surround myself with? It doesn't mean I don't have any, any of the friends that I have can't be my friends anymore. No, no, no. I am intentional and said, I need you, 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 you around me every morning, and we're going to pray because I need that faith in my life. I need someone who can stand with me in faith, and not in fear, not in unbelief, but in faith. And unfortunately, I have been there in my life where I had to sidestep people who were so much in unbelief and fear that I can't be around them just for now. Because I need a miracle today. I need a miracle. I am like Jairus. I am Lord. I can't afford not to get this miracle. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he had to kick them out. He, didn't, he just kicked them out of the house. He didn't chase them away. They were still there. They were still there. Because they were celebrating afterwards of the miracle. You see, all the voices and the influences around us acting by faith or feeding on fear and negativity. Because there's a lot of voices around us. There's a lot of influences around us. Oh, we've gotten a lot of voices in my life. But I need to make sure that the voices in my life, and I am one of the voices in someone else's life, is the voices filled with faith or fear? And that's what we need to make sure. I mean, I, I, I've been journeying with Stephen and Clarice the last three years, and I know how God has surrounded them with faith. How I can sit with them. He can, literally, there was m many times where he actually encouraged me in faith, going through hell. But we were surrounding ourselves with faith constantly. Didn't mean I didn't have time for other people. Yes, I knew when I walked in a room with negativity, I made sure that I am the lightning rod of faith. So Lord, hit this thing so that there will be faith instead of fear. See, when trusting for our miracle in times of distress and serious need, it is so important for us to, have, to, to be surrounded by people that has faith. That is believing. Sometimes it will actually cost us to step away from people who are negative. 
unfortunately. And you know what? I'm saying this very sensitively because I have been someone that people had to step away from in my life. I'm, I'm honest. And I realized it afterwards, and I had to repent, and I said, listen, I'm sorry that the t that tough time you went through, that I was really negative. I was climbing on the negative train with you instead of pulling you off and putting you on a faith train. I've been there. Now, the big question for each and every one of us is, are we willing to do, what are we willing to do to get Jesus or to give Jesus access to your house, to your need? What are you willing to do to give him access in that moment, in that, in that turmoil, in that dark hole of, man, I am dead? What are you willing to do? Like Stephen said, are you willing to wake up at four in the morning and read your Bible, although you can't stay awake? I read a story of a pastor who, who felt that God said he had to wake up at four every morning, do Bible study, but he couldn't stay awake, so he went and stood on the bathtub corner like balancing himself with his Bible because he knows when he falls off, he's, I mean, <laughs> it's stupid. Well, what are you willing to do to get your miracle? See, distractions will keep us away from what Jesus wants to do in your life. And if you start looking for the distractions in your life, you will be shocked how much the enemy comes with distractions. How much... All the tablets and the, and the stuff is distractions in our lives. The cell phones, the things, it's distractions in our lives. And it causes delays where God wants a miracle. We need to make sure that we surround ourselves with faith. We start the day out in our prayer closet, in our quiet time. Say, Lord, I need you today. I need you to come to my house. I need you to sort out this need for me. And if there's a delay, I've got more than enough word in my life to know that I can step through this. And some people, to be honest, will step through tougher things than others. They do. But God knows where our faith is and how we will grow in faith. I want to have a moment of, of communion this morning. Man, I don't know if you guys can help me. And I want to I implore you this morning that there is nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. I don't know if how many of you have seen the poster in Cape Town. There's a church in Cape Town had a big banner, 10 meters by five meters that says the blood of Jesus cannot save you from COVID. Get vaccinated. How many of you have seen that? To be honest, I was broken hearted when I saw that, that a minister can believe that the blood of Jesus can't save them from COVID. I want to invite you this morning to have communion and I want you husband and wives, friends or whoever you want to have with communion but to have a moment with yourself this morning and say, Father, you know what I'm going through. You know what I have to step through. Maybe it's a new season. Maybe it's something that I need to step out in faith to get to. And when we have communion this morning, to give that to the Lord. To say, Father, if you can do something when there was no possibility to do anything anymore, I want to trust you. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Jesus, put your hand on your heart this morning. Father, we want to come this morning together and just declare that 
we love you. We love you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be perfect. Thank you that we don't have to perform to get more of you or more of your attention. That your grace is sufficient for us. And we will know that your love empowers us to know more of you, Father, to get to know you deeply. I pray for this morning, Father, as we have communion, that we can declare by having communion that you have done it. You've done everything we need to be to be close to you, Father. Lord, I pray for every heart this morning. I pray for everyone that's going through turmoil, going through distress. Maybe they know people who's going through distress. Maybe they have family who go through a tough time. Lord, I pray that, that you fill their lives and fill our lives this morning with faith, Father. That you are not a God of the natural, you are a God of the supernatural. And when we give our natural, you put your super on it. And, and that relationship becomes supernatural. Father, I pray for breakthrough here this morning. I pray for breakthrough in our lives where things seem done. Things seem that it's over. Lord, I pray that, that we can see you in our mind's eye that says, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Father, I pray that you pick up our faith today. Your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing your word. And, and as we've heard your word this morning, Father, may our faith be stirred to step out and trust you for greater things. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstalenbosch.co.za.